It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The Brooklyn Nets want us to believe that they will go into training camp with Kevin Durant still on their roster. And on today's show, I will tell you why I call BS. Plus, we will rank Donovan Mitchell packages to determine where a Suns mega trade centered on DeAndre Ayton lands in the middle of all of it. Let's go, Locked On Suns. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past five seasons and a writer at Suns.com and Dime Magazine. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen on this Thursday morning and every day, if you're finding us on your favorite podcast platform, go ahead, hit subscribe or follow to make sure you find this show in your feed every single morning. And if you're finding us on YouTube, that's the best way to support the show. So go ahead and hit subscribe down below and drop me a comment ranking the Donovan Mitchell packages as you see them. We will start with Mitchell, I want to remind everybody you can also follow us on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns or at BrendanClean14. That, of course, is my personal account. And we'll start with Mitchell. We'll get to why I do not buy for one moment that the Suns, at the, that the Nets will keep Kevin Durant on this roster into the regular season. But Donovan Mitchell is the news right now. Uh, Brian Windhorst on ESPN today. Also, just a side note, completely. Uh, going backwards in terms of I need to turn on TV in the morning East Coast time to get these updates. Somebody needs to do something about that. Let's go back to everything being on Twitter. But that's conversation for a different day. Windhorse went on TV, said he expects or believes at least that a Mitchell trade could happen. I believe he said in the next seven to 10 days. Now on yesterday's episode, I explained why I think the Durant stuff could be on the back burner for a little while. I think the Mitchell thing will happen first, and so if we're 7 to 10 days away from that, well, we're at least 11, 8 to 11 away from a Durant trade. And if if that's the case, and Mitchell does go first, or the Mitchell negotiations at least play out first, then that's where we need to start, because we need to determine, does a Mitchell trade get done separately from the Durant sweepstakes, or does it get roped in? And of course... If it gets roped in, that's going to most likely include the Suns, the Heat, or the Raptors, teams that we've heard very aggressively pursuing Mitchell, or at least in the case of the Suns, using Mitchell to get Durant. So, I want to rank the packages. I want to go through those three teams, as well as the New York Knicks, who are the betting favorite. I believe in some places they are minus at like around 100 to get Mitchell if he's not on the Jazz next season. And I'll just jump in. That, to me, they have the best package. Um, R.J. Barrett, 
who I mentioned yesterday when I initially talked about this stuff as probably the best player that could be available. Now, Kevin O'Connor in the ringer said that he doesn't, wouldn't expect, and I don't think that was reported. I think it was just him speculating that the Knicks would include Barrett, but I'm not so sure that they shouldn't. I have loved RJ Barrett from the moment that uh, he came to Duke. I paid a lot of attention to that draft because the Suns were in the running for the number one overall pick. Obviously, we all remember they fell to six in the Zion Williamson draft. RJ Barrett goes third behind Zion and John Morant. But I think he's, despite all that, a pretty inefficient player. He's solid from three. He can defend. He's big. He's getting better, you can definitely say. And he's only 22, but he is like pretty considerably below average in terms of efficiency, especially on the two-point shots and from the free throw line even. Despite his his, his three-point jumper coming along, he just has never hit a, a good per- percentage of his free throws. So he's the best player. I'm only picking some of those nits to say that I think the Knicks would be okay parting with him, especially when you remember they just signed Jalen Brunson. So the idea that they would play all three of those guys is a little bit peculiar. I mean, I, I understand the, the NBA these days, you can never have too many ball handlers. Barrett's big enough to, to defend wings so he could play the three in theory, but I don't see why they wouldn't include Barrett, especially if it guaranteed them to be able to win the deal, because I don't think that their next best player is that high in these rankings. We'll get to another Knicks package later, but it's not number two. Number two to me is the Heat with Tyler Hero because... So I went back and forth with Hero and Aiton for number two because I do think, I'll just say it now, Aiton ended up number three. The Suns package centered on DeAndre Aiton going to Utah. Obviously, the Suns wouldn't get Mitchell back. It doesn't really matter. The bottom line is what is Utah getting for Mitchell And I went with Hero there mostly for reasons out of his control. I think just in terms of talent and upside and everything else, I would probably rather have Aiton in a vacuum. Just purely, we can imagine Hero's going to get a pretty big payday too, so they're going to be on similar contracts. Aiton is a little bit older, but not a ton. I would rather have Aiton on my team, but we also know He is a little bit younger, and the NBA values young guards, young creators who have a possibility to become good good to great offensive players. That is what the NBA pays for right now. It's what is valued. He just won sixth man of the year. He's been in the playoffs. Those things give him a little bit of luster that Aiton obviously has in terms of the playoff experience, but he didn't win a shiny award. He hasn't had the 50-point games and different moments that are so flashy the way that Hero has. Like, yes, Tyler Hero could be Jordan Clarkson. He could be, you know, Lou Williams, but he also could be Bradley Beal. I mean, not the same exact player, but he could be a... Or even, let's say, C.J. McCollum and split the difference. C.J. McCollum, even despite getting paid quite a bit, just got traded for a decent batch of stuff this year, and he's older now. So that's why I went with the Heat at number two. I mentioned yesterday I think the Heat could go either way. They could go for Mitchell, and some Utah reporters have been putting their eggs in that basket already. Or I could still see the Heat saying, hey, let's just stick with KD and let's try to win a title now, like they tend to do. Not that Mitchell couldn't also help them win a title, but obviously Durant 
is more of a sure thing in that regard. So I already said the Suns are number three. I just think this Aiton, despite all of everything I said in praise of him over Hero if in a vacuum, he's just not the type of guy that NBA teams tend to build around these days. And also, if you think, um, Jake Fisher from Bleacher, from Bleacher Report today had a, had a note that this is a fire sale from Utah. This is not, let's just trade Mitchell, keep everything else, and, and keep our sort of uh, stock ready to go of assets and things to trade and everything. Like, it's like, let's get rid of everybody that we can. And so if you're getting rid of Conley and Mitchell, etc., who sets Aiton up? Who compliments him? Who plays defense with him? A lot of his value goes away if he's playing on a bad team, like a very bad team. I mean, I think he can be good on a building team or a mediocre team or a low playoff seed type of group that has at least some other talent. But if this is like, let's strip it down, I don't think Aiton necessarily makes a lot of sense in that type of a context. Number four, I have Toronto with OG Ananobi. I think that he's already 24, not much of a creator, has an injury history. I just don't, I actually think this one is probably lower. I think if the if the Raptors aren't going to include Scotty Barnes, and it doesn't make any sense for them to do that, I don't think that's worth it. And if they don't really want to include Pascal Siakam, which to me, like you could make the case Siakam's more valuable period. So that's kind of a weird trade. It's like a bet trade of like our guy that's an already an All-NBA type player is better than your guy who's an All-NBA type player. Those trades don't really happen. So I don't really love any of the Raptors packages. I think we can move on. I had something with Jer- with Gary Trent, etc. I just don't see it for the Raptors unless they can come up with something creative here that I'm not seeing. So that brings us to the Knicks' other package. Obi Toppin, multiple of their other young players, including Quickly, Grimes, uh, McBride. They have those young players to put in, plus a ton of picks. If it's something like that, instead of Barrett, I could still see it being an option that that the that Utah would consider. Because I think Windhorses said this, and just based on what they did in the Rudy Gobert trade, we could assume the Jazz, they're mostly going to want picks if they're rebuilding, right? If they're going to get rid of Conley and Bogdanovich next, and maybe Clarkson and all the rest of their guys, and just really start from scratch, and Danny Ainge wants to have another project, I don't see why they would want, again, an Aiton type of player or an Ananobi or a Siakam or even, a, you know, Gary Trent or any of those types of players. Like Toppin and Quickly and a bunch of picks, maybe that is something that works out. I think that could make a lot of sense. So I think the Knicks are right there with that option as well if they don't want to do Barrett, but I do think the Heat and Suns are above that. So the Suns, look, I have them three right now. They have a lot of work to do. We'll see how it progresses. We'll see whether... The KD stuff ultimately gets grouped in. I think we can all assume that's a chance. There's a chance of that right now. But if the Knicks just bowl everybody over, we might see the end of this situation rather quickly. So as those Mitchell negotiations play out, the Nets, on the other hand, quietly starting to tell more and more people that they would be fine bringing Kevin Durant back. I'll tell you why I call BS on that completely. First today, guys. The show is brought to you by Built Bar from the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing coconut brownie chunk Built Bar before, but our friends at Built have given us a new creation, the coconut brownie chunk puff. That's right. The first ever protein infused marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate is here 
with that coconut brownie deliciousness. Coconut brownie chunk puffs are only here for a limited time, so go to Built.com now to make sure you don't miss out. They're going fast, as Built products always do, and they don't, they don't just say that to get you to jump on it. These, these packages, they do these mega sales, and then when they're gone, they're gone, and you gotta wait till the next time they're back. It's, it's like a fast food sandwich or something. It really does only come around every so often. Delicious coconut, rich sweet brownie, and creamy marshmallow. So stop fantasizing, guys. It's as delicious as it sounds. I've had them before. They're wonderful. So stop fantasizing and get to Built.com now to order your box of coconut brownie chunk puffs. Go to Built.com. Again, Built.com. Promo code LOCK15. Get 15% off your order. Again, promo code LOCK15 at checkout to get 15% off at Built.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, so, Sean Marks, somebody in that Nets front office, is spinning a little tail. They want us to believe that they're going to keep Kevin Durant in town. They want us to believe that they're not in a rush to get this trade done that they're fine bringing Durant back. We saw this report too. Kyrie Irving, oh, he would be fine playing in Brooklyn again. I don't want to dissect the Kyrie side of this, but it feels like this is all could all be coming from a similar source. It could all be negotiating. I think the answer is probably both. I think that we're getting to a weird stalemate here, but I want to go through it piece by piece of why I don't buy it, but I also want to consider it as an option and and see where that takes us to. So let's start with why from the Nets side, this is just a bad idea to keep Kevin Durant, not trade him, make him him report, dare him to report to camp and, and start the season with him. I mean, one is, I've said this from the very jump, because right away when he requested the trade in the first place, everybody wanted to make the case, well, he has four years. Well, Brooklyn doesn't need to do anything. And I've said from the very beginning, that sets an awful precedent. That's why nobody does it. The only times where we've really seen an NBA team do that and say, all right, no, come back. We're not doing it. From what in recent player empowerment times, it was James Harden in the middle of the pandemic when he was with Houston and, and wanted out, and Dwight Howard. And the thing, uh, when he was with Orlando, and then he ended up opting in and all that craziness, the press conference with Sam Van Gundy, it was all crazy, but he came back and then eventually left. It's just like Harden, right? They eventually left. That's important to remember here too. It doesn't happen that these guys ask out or publicly make it clear they want out, and then 
stay there for the rest of their careers. I mean, I guess Kobe Bryant, right? He did that. Other than that, it doesn't happen very often. And again, with Harden and Dwight, to stick with those two, those are two guys who didn't exactly have public support on their side. They're laughing stocks. Whether they should or shouldn't be is a separate question, but nobody really held them in a high regard. And so the teams choosing to say, hey, no, you're not going to put us in a bad position. We're keeping you until we find a trade we like. I guess Ben Simmons would be the other one, right? And it was the same thing. Ben Simmons did not have much respect going for him around the NBA. Kevin Durant does, okay? So it sets that bad precedent. It's ugly to do. It doesn't happen. I mean, I guess there's a first for everything, but I just don't buy that this is going to be the one that, that it happens. And here's a couple more reasons why, from the Nets side, that it's, it's not a very smart thing to do. Kyrie might just truly not play, right? He might just not play. I mean... He's, he's had, I think it's a little bit overblown sometimes, but he's had these absences in the past for a game here or there. He got injured the first year when KD wasn't going to be playing and never came back, even though I don't believe it was an incredibly serious injury. I, I think at the very least he could have played in the bubble if he had wanted to, right? So what would make him want to play this year? If he's already going to make the money... I guess they could find him and do this and that, but he, they just did that last year and it didn't end up mattering, right? I also think too much is riding on all of this, and I think that part's not getting talked about quite enough here. I mean, I talked about this yesterday. Almost half the league is waiting on this Durant negotiation at this point. So if it never comes to fruition, what happens with the rest of the offseason? What happens to DeAndre Aiden? What happens to John Collins? What happens to Miles Turner? I've gone through the list every day seemingly lately because I think that's just not getting emphasized enough places right now. And last but not least, why it would be a bad idea. Don't forget, and this is another thing that has been forgotten a little bit, but at the time of the trade request a couple weeks ago, Brian Winhorst at ESPN, Joe Varden at The Athletic, Vincent Goodwill at Yahoo, all had columns and articles where they reported that Joe Sy, the owner, is fed up, just wants a normal team again, wants to regain control of his franchise, and you know would go so far as to buy Kyrie out or take an offer that's maybe heavier on just like competent players rather than a blue chip. Like to me, I, I think it's probably, if you ask me which is more likely, I would probably say I could see Joe Sy firing Sean Marks sooner than I could see him bringing Kevin Durant back for the regular season. Let me play devil's advocate on the Brooklyn side just a little bit. One is why I guess it's somewhat believable that they could hold this posture. They don't have their picks going forward because of the Harden trade, right? So they can't take a bad deal here. They can't accept the trash that is seeming to be thrown at them right now. Like if it's a if it's a deal that's centered on like Cam Johnson and Dario Sharch or whatever from the Suns standpoint, and like two first round picks, like they can't they can't take that. They have to get something good. The Nets also know, and this is true and accurate, that the Suns are probably more desperate than anybody across this entire landscape right now, right? And that includes the Nets. That includes the Jazz. That includes. Anybody. The Suns are in a more desperate position because they are at risk of having their title contending team implode because this doesn't, if this doesn't go their way. 
I also think the Nets can probably take advantage a little bit of the fact that Kevin Durant's just not the type of guy who acts up if he doesn't get his way. So with that said, the ball's in Kevin Durant's court. I can see both sides of the Nets thing, obviously. I I lean much more toward it being a bad idea from them and something, like I said, I call BS on. I don't think that they would do it. But they're obviously putting it out there, and there's at least some reason to understand why they're using that as a negotiating tool. But that's exactly what it is, right? You heard Windhorst on ESPN today say flat out he sees these rumors as a negotiating tool, right? He said a quote, event needs to happen to get the Nets out of this stalemate and basically kick them in the butt to have them start talking to teams again and actually negotiating. Because right now they seem to be taking this stance of, yeah, whatever, we'll bring them back if you're not going to give us what we want. So, you know, multiple people, it's not hard to follow, have predicted that that event, if there is going to be one, would be Kevin Durant making some sort of statement. That could be his podcast, Twitter, a media leak, whatever. But keep in mind, too, this is not something that Kevin Durant is necessarily comfortable doing. He's never done it before. And again, not the type to make a scene here. Not the type to to act a fool, throw a fit, or whatever. But everyone still, you know, seems to believe that a trade will happen at some point. That means it's seemingly, fair or not, up to Kevin Durant now to get the negotiations out of the mud by reaffirming somehow publicly that he wants out and that he wants to go to Phoenix. Because if that's still what's in his heart of hearts, I think Sean Marks seems to need a reminder. Let's flip things back to Phoenix, guys. I'll, I'll walk through why keeping DeAndre Ayton may not be the worst thing to happen for the Suns as we keep on this keeping track. We'll talk about what happens if the Suns bring back DeAndre Ayton in just a second. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, so we talked about what Kevin Durant coming back would look like for the Nets and why I don't buy it, but something that I've been maybe hinting at, talking around lately, on the other end, is... The Suns bringing back DeAndre Ayton. So let's do the same exercise here, right? From the Suns' perspective, from from Ayton's perspective, could this happen? Why should it? Why shouldn't it? Let's start with the Suns. Why they would keep him, match an offer sheet, bring him back if nobody else offers him a contract, give him a contract themselves is that they can't lose him for nothing. 
I mean, that's, that's been the case from the beginning. It's the most obvious answer, but it's true. If he doesn't end up being part of the Durant trade and the Pacers, who are dragging their feet on this whole thing, don't go out and get him, um, maybe there's nothing out there for him. And it might just make sense for the Suns to say, hey, we'll give you, you know, four years, 100 million, four years, 90 million. I mean, I don't know how low it gets. I don't know what they'd be comfortable offering. But if if there was a mega offer out there, it just feels like it would have happened. So I think that makes some sense. Um, they also badly need center depth, right? And there's just not a lot of people out there, unless it's going to be Hassan Whiteside or Boogie Cousins, and, and those are not starting caliber centers either if you're a championship team. There's not much out there. Now, they could obviously do trades, and they have Sharge and Biombo and Landale and everything else, but if they look around and they don't get a Miles Turner in a trade or they don't get Player X, I don't know who else the center would even be on Utah or Brooklyn or anything else that would get you there, but if they don't get that, well, they might need a center, and Aiton is obviously a great one. And again, money-wise, if it's less than the max, it might be worth it after all. Remember, the Suns reportedly offered a less-than-max contract extension back in October when Aiton was still eligible for one. Let's go to Aiton from his perspective. I get... All along, he's been telling us he wants a bigger role and he wants to make the most money that he can. Those are common things for a player's second contract. No surprise there. But still, I just... Making less than the max on a bad team where he's not going to be winning, I can't imagine that that's like a thrill to him, right? If, If a bad team was giving him a full max, I think he would just take it, figure it out later. And I think he probably would be right to do that, but I don't know if that max is out there for him. And if it's going to be less than a max either way, why not consider coming back to the Suns? Taking the qualifying offer, which is another option that gets thrown out there, it's about $16 million, which one would be a pretty small contract salary this year. It could, if he gets traded, set him up to be on an even smaller salary because there's limitations once he's been traded after being on the qualifying offer. And even if he did make it all the way to unrestricted free agency and was eligible for as big a contract as anybody could give him, I could see the market squeezing him again. You know, more teams have cap space next year, but does that mean more teams are going to value him in particular? If they didn't do it this year, why would they do it next year? He could be looking ahead and realizing, hey, I got to get locked into something now because I just came off of two great years, you know, The KD thing could be used to my advantage here. I just need to lock in a contract. I don't think he takes a qualifying offer. But if if he starts to contemplate that, I could see him once again just saying, hey, why don't I just go back to the Suns on a real contract, lock in, you know, 80, 90, 100 million dollars and just get it out of the way. Also, look, like he could still get traded in the future and getting to play with Book, Chris and Kevin Durant, if that happens, is an amazing way to, to, to bide your time. I don't think that's anything to ignore or dismiss. So what are the chances that this actually happens? I know it's a little bit out of nowhere. I would probably still put it at only like 10 to 15%. But again, Indiana, which we all got into a, a, a flurry being you know convinced this was happening, they still haven't cleared the cap space to make him a big offer, let alone made him that offer, as far as we know. There were some reports that he met with the Pacers at Summer League, so okay. You know, maybe 
maybe it's closer than we realize, but it hasn't happened yet. The Jazz don't seem to be a great fit, as I talked about with the Mitchell stuff, in terms of are they really going to be rebuilding around DeAndre Ayton? That doesn't seem super likely. And nobody else has come out of the woodwork. We knew Utah reportedly had some interest, according to John Gambadoro a while back. Maybe that's when they were contemplating keeping Mitchell, and Ayton could be some sort of piece to play next to him. I'm not sure where that came from. But if it's not the Pacers or the Jazz, which it still could be, but again doesn't seem immediately likely. That's why I'm leaving the door open. The choices are to come back to Phoenix for signing the qualifying offer. I think Aiton will, will come back. And again, if the choices are to come to Phoenix on less than a max and win and keep sacrificing or go to a bad team on the same contract, then I, I don't know. I, I wonder why he wouldn't just pick the Suns and they could match anyway and it might not be up to him. Either way, no matter what direction this goes, if, if the Suns were to seriously consider bringing him back, if, if we did get to that point, I, I do not see it again as all that likely, but it's worth talking about as we, as we sit in this gray area. The Suns have to meet him halfway if, if there's any chance of this ever working again. They have to at least listen. They have to... I don't know. There's going to have to be hard conversations because either they don't think that he's capable of growing, and I'm not, I probably agree with them. I don't think he's going to become an all star level player. I don't think so. But if they think that, it doesn't seem like they've leveled, level set with him. It doesn't seem like they've come out and just told him that because he comes out every year and talks about how much he's improved, how much he wants to grow his game and take on more responsibility. And then every year the Suns don't let him do that. And so I think that they obviously are culpable here too. He got very frustrated by the end of game seven. And I think that's a lot of what you saw come to a head. So for any of this to ever get close to being reparable again, it's going to have to be the Suns meeting him halfway, having and leading those hard conversations. And, you know, Obviously, uh, that sounds unlikely as I'm talking about it, but hey, that's why I have it at about 10 to 15% likelihood. I, I don't think it's super realistic, but as the options dwindle here, it's just something we have to take a closer look at and, and be ready for. More to come tomorrow to close out the week. Aaron Edwards will be here for his weekly check-in. We'll talk about everything that's been going on. Mitchell, uh, Durant, Ayton, all of it. We're all, uh, we're all in the muck here, and Aaron will be a breath of fresh air to get us through it. So tune in tomorrow. A big thanks for making Locked on Suns your first listen here on this Thursday and every day. Now go make Locked on NBA your second listen to catch up on everything else going on around the league. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.